0: Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all of you that are indeed fathers. This is one of those holidays, you know, you shout it out, Happy Father's Day, and then you reply, you too, and you're like, you're not a father, I can't do that. It's not, it's not Fourth of July, it's not Memorial. They're like, You've got to be careful with who you're kind of giving that uh, exclamation to, but uh, I do want to say happy Father's Day to those of you in the crowd. I, I too, brought my own uh, dad jokes along. These made the hall of shame, not the hall of fame, and so there's just something about dad jokes, right? There's just something. Hey, thanks, man. I uh, coached three baseball games yesterday. I yelled a lot, so I'm going to need some water. Um, son asked, Daddy, can you put on my shoes? Dad responds, I can try, but I don't think they'll fit. (laughs) Oh, okay. Your applause signals approval. Great, okay. Waiter asks, do you want a box for your leftovers? Dad replies, no, but I'll wrestle you for them. (laughs) Did it take you a a second there? (laughs) We're still waking up. It's okay. What did the pirate say on his 80th birthday? I'm 80. And I certainly don't have one about Star Wars. Following this, uh, so I won't even show that one up here. Um, but why do I why do I share these? Is it is it humorous? Yes, fatherhood is humorous, but I've also experienced great challenge. Uh, I, I feel like a, as a father, my experience has been I have emotions related to my kids that are, that are at a 10, and I turn them up to 11 a lot. Like, there's, there's not a whole lot of passion at a 2 or a 3 with my kids. Like, whether I'm happy or sad or angry or complaining. It feels like a 10 or even 11. I can remember the the experience of, of having our second born and it's middle of the night and I am so exhausted and I'm on one of those glider rockers and I'm so tired that I can't even glide. I can't even push. I'm just like no movement. And the thought occurs to me, I mean, just in this delusional state, like I'm, I'm in this place and I have two simultaneous thoughts. Number one is at some point, all my friends and family are going to show up and give me this father of a generation award. Why? Because I'm up in the middle of the night. Like I was just delusional, like, like nobody else does this for their kid. It's only me, right? <laughs> and then simultaneously, I'm having this thought of... Certainly a generation of men and women are going to get together at some point and just go, you know what? It's not worth it. It's just, it's just too much. They just demand too much. Like, we just fed you a few hours ago. Why do you need to eat again, right? And, and the ways in which God has used parenting in my life for good. I know that I've had some of the greatest joys, but also it's revealed some things in my character. I thought I was a patient man, and then I had kids. (laughs) I I thought I didn't struggle with anger, and then I had kids. I thought I didn't grumble and complain and and ask the question, Lord, where are you? And then I had kids. And if that's you, not just in the area of parenting, but if you've... Can identify with some of that feeling of, God, where are you? You're going to love today's passage from the book of Exodus. Let me take us there. We are in the book of Exodus, and if you're new with us, let me just break the book of Exodus into three big chunks, just to make it easy. Okay, This group of people is enslaved in Egypt. Okay, They're, they're known as the Israelites. That's the first big chunk. Second big chunk God does something miraculous through a series of signs and wonders and miracles and judgments. God brings forth a great deliverance. This, we, this, this book gets its name, Exodus, from this moving out, delivering out of, coming forth from. They are in the m- middle of moving out of Egypt. They're delivered. There's the Exodus. There it is, God's deliverance, Okay. And now the last third, the third that we find ourselves in now is them walking with God and not all of it goes well, okay? And so they're not gonna get to the promised land in this book, that's still to come, all right? But what I love about this book is it parallels God's great story in the Bible. God creates everything, right? But then sin enters the world and death through sin. We talk about spiritual slavery, Because we're apart from God. We're doing life on our own. And yet, God brings forth this great deliverance, this great exodus out of sin through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That is the hope of the Christian church. That's why we gather every Sunday to remember, to celebrate that exodus-like event where we are delivered from sin. We're delivered from spiritual death, spiritual separation from God. And now, is everything perfect? No, no, right? It's not. And so we experience our own life, our own wandering, our own struggles, because we're not yet at the promised land. We're not at that moment of crossing into glory when God will put away all sin and death and pain, right? We're not there yet. But, so we should be able to identify with the struggles of the Israelites. And all of this, all of this, coincides with the great messages of the Exodus, the great theme that we've been talking about, that all this happens, why? So that the Israelites and that we might know that God is the Lord. He's Lord of all. That's been a theme throughout the book and will remain a theme throughout the rest of the book. God is Lord over all. Today we're in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 7, and I titled this message, Is the Lord With Us? Or not. It's a direct quote from the text that we're going to be reading through, but that question comes up, is the Lord with us or not? So feel free to open up your Bibles. If you have a sermon insert, you'll see it printed on the, the, the notes there, the message notes. Your phone has it somewhere in there. I'm, just trust me, it's there. Just keep searching. I'm going to read through the passage, passage and as we read through it, we're going to stop. And we're going to make some comments as we go. not going to read it through all at once. Um, so let's just dive in here. In Exodus 17:1, we read, "...the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink." Okay, that's the setting of our passage for today. Only got six more verses, okay, but that's our setting. That's what is brought forth. So try to mentally picture this. For some of us, this is, this is kind of our worst nightmare, the longest, worst camping trip we can imagine. You're kind of in the wilderness, in the desert. You can't find water. The sleeping conditions are not perfect, right? And in this, here's what we as reader, okay? So if this is what the text says, what do we, what, what's the text, what's God trying to do with the text and cr- trying to communicate and impact us with? We need to be clear about this. Who's leading the camping trip? God, not Moses, okay, God. It says right there, they're traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. Remember, recall back to previous messages. How are they being led at the command of the Lord? Pillar of fire at night, Pillar of smoke during the day, as the smoke moves on, it's like, all right, let's break camp here, get our tents packed up, we're, we're on the move. So we need to realize, the Lord commanded this. The Lord is the one leading the trip, and they camp at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. There was no water for the people to drink. God brings them to a place where there's no water for the people to drink. Is this fact lost on God? I hope we can say no, resoundingly no. Like God is doing something, right? If he's going to lead the camping trip and he's going to lead them to a place where there's no water, that fact is not lost on God. He is trying to do something. And it's not dissimilar. It's not altogether different than where we were a couple weeks ago. Let me remind us, Just, just a couple chapters ago, Pastor Brian spoke on chapter 15, right? Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. That sounds familiar. It sounds identical to what we're doing here, right? It says, when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw the piece of wood into the water, and the water became fit to drink. It's a miracle, right? Just fantastic. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them, put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God, do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. Why? Theme of the book. I am the Lord. I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where, they were, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. So you just had this in your history. Didn't have any water? God provided. We come to this passage, another opportunity, right? God's leading them. We got no water. How should our passage, what should come next? What do you expect to come next? <laughs> right? Sometimes the ideal doesn't Match reality, that would, this would be one of those cases. Ideally, they would say, hey, Lord, can you do, do what you did last time? Can you?" That's not what happens. They quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die Of thirst. This idea of quarreling might give the picture of like the people grumbling and complaining against Moses and then him responding. No, this is them protesting with complaints to Moses for what they are experiencing. And Moses knows and tries to communicate them if you're gonna protest against me, ultimately he's the Lord of all. So if you're gonna quarrel and protest against me, ultimately you're quarreling and protesting against God. And then this, which is distinct from the previous passage, which clues us into what God is trying to do with this second account of no water. Why do you put the Lord to the test? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Great question, important question. Let's just hold on to that for a second. Let's finish uh, verse three here. The people were thirsty for water there. And they protested against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? What's the answer to that question? Sometimes when the Bible asks questions that are rhetorical, we don't actually pause long enough to answer them. But there can be benefit to sitting down and just saying, okay, they said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock Die of thirst. Is is that why, Moses? Is that why, God, that you brought us out of Egypt, that we might die? What's your intuitive sense? What's your intuitive response to that answer? Do we think that that is the reason? I'm going to deliver you out of slavery so that you might die in the wilderness. Is that why he did it? No. So God must have something else in mind. Coming back to that question, a good question that Moses poses to the Israelites. Why do you put the Lord to the test? Why do you put the Lord to the test? What does it mean to put the Lord to the test? To demand something of God as proof. Now, if we switch it, it is fully acceptable, fully right, For God to test his people, to demand something of us as proof that we do trust him, that we follow him, that we would give everything, not to secure something, to secure our own deliverance, to secure our own salvation, but in response to what God has done. Sometimes God will come to us and say, hey, All the money that you have, are you willing to share a little bit of it? We might respond to God, why do we need to share? So that you might know that I am the Lord, ultimately the one who provides for your financial needs, and as a testimony to others, that in your sharing, you're trusting that I will provide to meet your future needs. And so there are moments where God may ask, he may demand of something. But to flip it around, where we would actually test God to test the validity, to demand proof that God does love us, that God does care about us, that God does see us, is something that the Bible does not allow for. I want to read from Doug Stewart. Testing God, he says, always involves some degree of doubt about whether or not one's present circumstances are all that one deserves and whether or not God could or should have done a better job of providing for one's Needs. When we put the Lord to the test, we are ultimately questioning whether God could have, should have done a better job in his leadership of our lives. Continuing on in our passage, going to come back to that theme, but continuing on in our passage. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me, okay? Pausing long enough, what am I to do with these people? You're their leader, Moses. Point them back to God, (laughs) point them back to God. You stand in front of the people to help them remember that God is Lord of all. But they're almost ready to stone me, why? Because they see me as leading them in the desert for another time, where there's no water. And if you've read your Bible, people get stoned. People get killed for leading, for speaking on God's behalf. There's something about this struggle that causes Moses to feel like his life is in peril. So what? Was Moses to do? He was to get out in front of the people, which is exactly where the Lord takes him. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, be my leader. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Go out in front of the people, which he's already done, Bring the elders of Israel, which he's already done. Grab the staff, which has already happened. If you go back in the story, this was the start of the signs and the wonders and the exodus. Grab that staff. I'm gonna do something with that sight of the elders, and then you will take that to the rest of the people. And so we see a pattern here. Moses, keep leading. Keep demonstrating that I am Able to be the Lord over all. And I will stand there before you. Presumably, in that pillar of cloud, God is there. He hasn't left. We're not moving on. I am present with you. And then this strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. Remember that staff? Same staff, touching that water, water divides and brings forth this great salvation. Take that same staff, hit that rock. Water is gonna bring forth a great salvation. Why? So that you might know I'm the Lord of all. One more quote here. The water from the rock is another exodus-like event. A staff touches water and the people are saved. The power that has brought the Israelites out of Egypt is the same power, that is sustaining them in the desert, and that will bring them eventually safely into the land God promised to Abraham. It shows that Yahweh is Lord of the desert, as he has also shown himself to be Lord of Egypt. Do you see that? Lord of Egypt. He is over the Egyptians, over what was transpiring there, and he is Lord over the desert, Lord what is happening out here in the wilderness. The desert is a hostile place, Peter ends, writes, as was Egypt, but both are at God's command. Bring us to verse seven. And he called the place Masa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? These these names, as is often true in the Bible, mean something, Masa, meaning testing, trial, temptation. Meribah, meaning protest, quarrel, and strife. And here's the thing. This is something that you might not be aware of. What we looked at in chapter 15 about water not uh, being able to be drunk, and then all of a sudden this piece of wood is thrown in there, and God brings forth drinkable water. There's something about this account that becomes landmark in the life of Israel. When they test the Lord, okay, okay, Asking this question, is the Lord among us or not? This is landmark in their history that it will be recounted from generation to generation. Let's avoid testing the Lord as they did in Exodus chapter 17, as they did at Massa and Meribah. Let me just give you a few examples if you were to kind of do a quick Bible search. In Deuteronomy 6.16, do not put the Lord your God to the test as they did at Massa. In Deuteronomy 9.22, you also made the Lord God angry at Massa. In Deuteronomy 33, 8, about Levi he said, you tested him at Massa, you uh, contended with him at the waters of Meribah. In Psalm 95, do not harden your hearts as they did at Meribah, okay? In Numbers 20, verse 13, these were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them in numbers 20 verse 24 Aaron will be gathered to his people he will not enter the land i gave the israelites because both of you rebelled against my command at the waters of meribah one more psalm 106 verse 32 by the waters of meribah they angered the lord and trouble came to moses because of them this is seismic in their history Because they put the Lord to the test, asking this question, is he among us or not? Is he with us? Is he for us? Does he see us? And so this is a big question. Is the Lord among us or not? Friends, do we see in the grand scheme of what has been happening in the book of Exodus why this is so seismic? What are they forgetting? God bringing them out of bondage and slavery. What are they forgetting? The signs and the wonders. Countless, right? More than a dozen different signs and wonders. Crazy, amazing deliverance. What are they forgetting, friends? God providing manna and quail to eat. What are they forgetting? God bringing forth water to drink in the midst of desert conditions. And yet they have contempt for the Lord's leadership. Contempt for his provision, contempt for what he is doing. Is the Lord among us or not? Here God wants to give them an opportunity to deepen their relationship, deepen their trust. But Israel does not believe. Israel does not follow. Let me bring us to kind of the gospel according to Moses. We've, we've titled the message uh, series this because we want to connect this account to the greater testimony of Scripture. And I'm telling you, this Meribah, this, this, this testing of the Lord is so prominent. I had to just go after one, but wow, dozens of passages reference this story. But let me take us to Hebrews chapter 3 so that we cannot just say, Okay, that's what happened then and there, but how, we, how can we learn and how can we apply and how might God's spirit want to update this message for our lives this week in, in moving forward amidst the grumbling, complaining, quarreling that we all have? I'm telling you, before you leave this building, you'll have a handful of things that you could possibly grumble about, right? This is just, we, we are right. If you're, if you're a true American your life is ripe for grumbling and complaining. That's what it means to be an American. And if you want, you can get online and grumble and complain publicly. And then people will commiserate with you. I don't know if you've followed, it's called Facebook or Instagram or like you can go you can do this today. Okay? Let me take us to Hebrews 3. What can we learn? So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts, how? As they did in the rebellion. What rebellion? The one we just talked about. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, God says. Though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Why? because you're going to hold your original confidence, the same confidence of God's deliverance when you're walking through the waters and when you're eating the manna and God is providing for you day after day after day in your wilderness wandering, you're going to protect yourself from a sinful, unbelieving heart that questions God, are you with me? Are you for me? Do you see me? Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? Answer, yes, it was them. And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of why? Their unbelief. unbelief their hearts become hardened to god who is with them and instead they question god are you with us do you see us do you care at all and if you've caught nothing else they tried to just boil it down make it as simple as possible okay in four slides let me make this just as plain and simple been building toward this let me be explicit Amidst the wilderness where the Israelites are being tested by the Lord, the Israelites put the Lord to the test. Asking, is the Lord among us or not? That's that's our message. That's Exodus 17:1 to 7. 1-7. And here it is: the desert posed no barrier to God's working on behalf of his people. The desert in all that the desert brought forth, all the challenges that the wilderness had: no food, no drink. God says, no barrier. I'm still at work, I am still with you, I am still for you, trust in me, follow me. The desert, the wilderness, the conditions they faced posed no barrier. We've seen that. And they need to hear that so that they recognize that he is Lord of all. And there's no circumstance, no conditions, no barriers. God is not hindered in his work, updating for our circumstances amidst our own wilderness, where we are being tested by the Lord. Are we putting the Lord to the test, asking, is the Lord among us or not? Day in, day out, amidst the stuff of life, the macro, the big stuff that you experience and come across, those things that happen a few times a year, but also the daily, the micro, the small becomes grumbling, complaining. What's the heart of that? Unbelief. That God is with you, that God is for you. And hear this, Hope Community. The deserts within our lives pose no barrier to God's working on our behalf. The deserts within our lives pose no barrier. Let's talk at the macro level. God has provided a way of salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In all of our sin and imperfections, and our pride and our arrogance and our envy and our rivalry and our selfish ambition and our sexual immorality. No barrier. God is at work and God can deliver and God can save through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's at a macro level. If you've responded to that and you're going through your life, he is still Lord of all over the big and the small of your life, over the personal and the corporate. Some of us are struggling with unbelief because of what we see in the world, the corporate expression of life in America, of life in this world. We look at a political climate and we grumble and we complain And we don't trust that God can work. Friends, the political climate in America, God can work. It's not a barrier to God. The way that public discourse happens. God can work. It's not a barrier to him working. The changing sexual norms. God can work, friends. Think about that. In your lives where you see just expressions of life and you wrongly presume that God has abandoned us, that God's not for us, that God is handcuffed by what's being expressed out there. God can, does, will, and is moving. What about personally? What about at the... Micro, daily level, in work situations, school situations, you have an interaction, you feel overlooked. Grumble, grumble, complain, complain. They don't see me. God doesn't see me. That's how quickly we can spiral downward. Not enough money. Don't get to drive that car. Don't get that amount of time off. Wish I could have that job. Seems easier. Perceive it to be easier. Grumble, grumble. Complain, complain. Is the Lord with me? I don't think so. With relationships, friendships. Mention being a parent. Some of you want to be parents. You're not a parent. Some of you had lousy parents. Grumble, grumble. Complain, complain. I've met so many of you that have had lousy relationships, lousy parental upbringing where you've had to parent your parents. It's not how it's supposed to work in God's economy, but you didn't get the ideal. You got the real, which came with tragedy, pain, brokenness. And yet, friends, I see your lives as a testimony that says in the midst of that desert, it did not become a barrier to God working in your life God has worked in your life in beautiful ways. Some of you are ending generational patterns of brokenness. Some of you are bringing forth such a beautiful response to such a lousy upbringing. You're the one that's going to stand up and exclaim, God is with me. God is for me, and you're going to pass that generationally out to your co-workers, to your roommates, to your friends. I want to share a testimony, a story, because sometimes that helps to personalize. Like, okay, so that's kind of big picture. That's Sunday morning. What does this look like tomorrow? What does that look like this afternoon? What does it look like the five times that I might want to grumble before I get out the doors, right? What does this look like? How do I do this? Some of you need a, a tangible example. I want to share a story of a guy who in the midst of challenge, trial, temptation, is trying to uphold in mind and heart that God is with him, that God is for him. Because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to avoid the hard-heartedness that expresses itself as God, Are you? where are you? Are you with me? I don't think so. Okay, so what we have here is an example. Ask the, him if he'd be willing to come on stage. Wasn't willing. But I, I have his words here. want to share them. His name is... Uh, it so says Jesus here. Uh, he, he says, I was full of the Holy Spirit, and I was led by my spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days I was tempted by the devil. I ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them I was hungry. That's what his uh, word said. <clears throat> I put very hungry because I assume after 40 days he, he was very hungry. The devil, said to him, the devil said to me, uh, Jesus writes, <clears throat> if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. I replied, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led me up to a high place, showed me in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to me, I will give you all authority and splendor. It has been given to me. There's a parenthetical, Jesus knew that wasn't true. Uh, He didn't have all authority. It wasn't given to him. Then the devil says to Jesus, I can give it to anyone I want to. Jesus inserts. He can't, okay? Uh, (laughs) Devil says, if you worship me, it will all be yours, but I answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Devil led me up to Jerusalem and had me stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said to me, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will, God will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus writes, that's true. God will take care of me. But I knew better. That devil, he's so tricksy, but he didn't trick me. I answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil left me after he had finished tempting me until an opportune time. Now, I share that tongue-in-cheek from Luke chapter 4. That was actually a reference. I don't know. Uh, I share that tongue-in-cheek. Why? Because in the life of Jesus, the wilderness did not present a barrier to prevent God from working. How did Jesus respond in the midst of that? Was it grumble, grumble, complain, complain, Father, have you left me? No, trusting, believing in the promises of God for his provision, for what he needed in the midst of incredible thirst, incredible hunger. I don't live on bread alone. Worship the Lord and serve him only. I will not put the Lord to the test. And so a question for you as you think about your life. Will you, will we trust him? Not hardening our hearts, but exhibiting exodus-sized confidence in God's work in our lives. Again, not to achieve his deliverance, not to be granted salvation, but because we have that. Because those who trust in Christ have that. And to know definitively that he is with you, friends. This was one of the most encouraging things I could send you out of here with. God is with you. God is for you and whatever you're experiencing is not a barrier to his work in your lives. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for sending your son into the world. He is the one who died that we might live. He experienced darkness so we could see your light and death, that we might experience new life. And so God, I pray for those who have not yet bowed their knee to Jesus as Savior, that for whatever reason, whatever barrier, whatever desert, wilderness experience that they're having that's keeping them from you, help them to see that you have made a way in the wilderness, a way in the desert, through your cross and through your resurrection. God, for those who have trusted you as Savior and now are living with you as Lord of their lives, the book of Exodus screams that you're the Lord of all. And God, whether they are experiencing Egypt, whether they're in the midst of being delivered, or whether they are wandering in the wilderness, remind them again and again that you are trustworthy, that you will not fail them or leave them. God, that you are with them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.